We're taking uh, five weeks to look at the Apostles' Creed, a creed that the early church formed when it was, uh, by and large, illegal to be a Christian. Um, there are a lot of creeds. Many of them are good. Um, and the reason I like the Apostles' Creed is that it's short and it's not reactionary. It's reactionary in terms of clarifying to the other religions, but a lot of the creeds that we have later explain more things about the Trinity and the work of Christ and things like that, and that's good to have that. But the Apostles' Creed is simply saying, this is what we believe in. And that distinction is different than believing that. That's why it says that. We believe in these things. They, they matter to our heart and mind and life. We don't just believe that these things happened and it doesn't matter. If you care about notes, as some of you do, you see the first point there is that on Sundays we reset. And what we need to reset from, and it doesn't work fully, is that most of us walk around life, literally and metaphorically, uh, limping. We have different fears. There are things that we're ashamed of. One of the things that I find incredibly fascinating about myself and other humans is we're often more ashamed of the things that happened to us than we are about the things where we maybe messed up. So we messed up and hurt ourselves. Everyone in this room has made their own life harder through sin. Um, But oftentimes, what I have more trouble untangling, and many of the people who come to my study have more trouble untangling, are the things that happened to us. I think it's an interesting part of being a human being, that getting untangled or learning that we walk with a limp. Some of us have physical things going on in our body and we have friends that know about that and every once in a while they look at us and we're wondering if that look is yeah I know you're in pain but is it that bad maybe and it's not obvious but it's happening does this not happen to you guys where like you're telling somebody what's going on with you and you wonder if they are taking you seriously or think it's even a big deal at all and we have the limps that are not direct they're more metaphorical things that happened to us in the past that continue to cause us to emotionally spike We're afraid. We're overly fatigued by things that didn't used to wear us out emotionally and otherwise. The reason that I want to bring that up is throughout our weeks, there's some... Somewhere in our minds, somewhere in the culture, is this implication that the world is a pretty good place. You and I should be capable of navigating it without fear. We really shouldn't limp. Everything's fine. It's all in your head. It's not. Pastors like to say, and I like to say, the world is a profoundly broken place. The world is also full of sin. A lot of the brokenness is because you and I have trouble sometimes telling the truth. So I have to say something before I want to say something that I'm much more excited about saying. If you're in a pattern of lying, part of the reason that your life is difficult is because that's exhausting and sinful. If you're struggling with greed or honoring your parents or with lust, those are problems that negatively affect you. But those are not your only problems. Did you know that the world was a big mess even before you were born? 
We know this when we look at little children and we know that eventually they're going to start making life harder on themselves. But right then, mostly what's broken about the world doesn't have very much to do with them. When we look at the Apostles' Creed, there is an implication in it that the world is immensely, profoundly broken. It doesn't mean there isn't beauty and nobility and that humans are incapable of any good. That's not at all what I'm saying. But what happens is we walk out into our world and we start to forget for a second how profoundly broken Scripture and especially perhaps the Apostles' Creed say that the world is. And here's what happens. We believe instead that God is not for us. That He's mad at us that he's disappointed in us, that he's holding out on us. He's not. Listen to me. This is my version of yelling. Listen. Listen, 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 listen. God is not holding out on you. He is not disappointed in you. So you have to say, don't sin before that. Sin is hurting yourself. But then when I say, he's not disappointed in you. He's not mad at you. When I say that we need to reset on Sundays and that we're actually, it's part of what we're doing, we need to remember the whole story, which includes... The Apostles' Creed is not the whole story. It's mostly about the work of Christ, but it includes this implication that the world is so profoundly broken. You and I need to remember that because when we don't, we walk into our Tuesdays, we overeat a little bit at lunch, we get a little tired. I know that's just me. None of you would do that. But on Tuesday, we overeat a little bit at lunch and we're struggling with energy. And suddenly, when we're struggling with energy, we're that much more susceptible to those lies because that's what they are. That God's disappointed in us. That He's holding out on us. That He's mad at us. Bob was mentioning, Bob Jaffinga, who runs the retreat center with his wife, Barbara, was mentioning the, the CFR. It's a retreat center right down there. And I go down there sometimes. Because despite my immense maturity and the fact that I've mastered divinity, I sometimes need to take a few minutes and pray. This is a video that I took sitting on the back porch because like you, I sometimes forget and I take my smartphone and I forget to do something of substance in life and I start playing with the phone instead of retreating. But after this, I then retreated and I want you to watch this video and I want you to remember these three phrases because we need to remember this, men and women. I'll tell you why in a few minutes more explicitly. God is not mad at us. He's not disappointed in us. He is not holding out on us. Watch the video. Be gripped by those truths for just a second. And then we'll unpack the Apostles' Creed a little more.
So that's a little artificial. There's a little bit of a rhetorical leap there that you have to make with me, and yet, wasn't it good to just watch the effect of the wind for just a second and take a breath? The Apostles' Creed says this, I believe in God, the Father Almighty. This is in your bulletin. Maker of heaven and earth. And in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who is conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day He arose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence He shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. If that's true, if all that had to happen to reconcile humans to God, then how broken is the world that you and I were born into? Numbers, people, you can create a scale in your head. The rest of us can pick an adverb. Here's the thing the world would attempt to convince us that the world's like, it's kind of broken, but it's also quite nice. It is quite nice, and there is beauty, and humans are created in the image of God. And if all this was necessary, not even to fully heal the world, which Jesus says he will come back and do, it's referenced twice in the Apostles' Creed, but to fix the dominant problem, which is men and women are not reconciled to God. If all this had to happen, how profoundly broken is the world? You're like, why is that good news? Why do you just keep repeating yourself? Because here's the thing. I think that when you and I spike internally, we wonder, am I crazy or was that a big deal? I have a friend who, when I ask him that question, he says, I said, so I'm not crazy. And he'll say, well, with respect to what we're talking about, the jury's out on the whole question. But with respect to that from your past, you're not crazy. That was a big deal. With respect to this part of parenting, you're not crazy. That was a big deal. With respect to having had cancer at 30 years old, yeah, that was kind of a big deal. Sometimes you and I, and what happens when we wonder if we're being silly, we're forgetting both the profound brokenness of the world and then we're starting to believe one of those lies. God is disappointed in us. We're angry with us. We're holding out on us. And at the same time that the Apostles' Creed implies with incredible force that the world is a profoundly broken place, it also states with even more clarity, no way is He mad at you. The entire wrath of God was poured out on Jesus Christ. No way is he disappointed in you. He rejoices over you with singing, Zephaniah 3.17. He loves you and he likes you. And no way is he holding out on you. Consider what he did in the work of Christ. Did you pray with me? That was a long intro, wasn't it? I won't go long, but that was my intro. Lord, would you help us to believe all that you did for us to reconcile us to you?
that we recite in the Apostles' Creed. Would you help us to believe in it? And not just that, it all happened. In your name we pray. Amen. So on Sundays we reset and uh, we pray. Everything that we know about God and everything that we continue to learn about God, you and I together as we approach the scriptures, as we sing the hymns, teaches us how to pray. Do you pray to each member of the Trinity? I love how often Christians get criticized for their moral stances, and I'm like, what about the Trinity? The Trinity is way weirder than any moral that we profess. But people don't think that it will. Some people do. But for the most part, we're not criticized for that. We're criticized for the morals. Um, I was realizing in talking with uh, uh, one of our elders about prayer and about the Trinity, I was thinking through a number of people who tell me about their prayer life, and they essentially ask a version of this question. I'm only, they say, I'm only comfortable praying with two, a couple of members of the Trinity, or one specifically, not the other two. What do you think about that? And I try and find some really kind way of saying, you could grow. (laughs) And it often comes across just like that did. Um, From the creed and from the way Jesus speaks about himself, especially at the end of John, and from the New Testament letters and the apostles, we learn that God exists in three persons. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The creed hits them. Uh, I believe in God, I believe and in Jesus Christ, I believe in the Holy Spirit. Not believe that they exist, but I believe in them. Part of my trusting faith in God is in the three persons that he reveals in himself. And what happens when you and I learn to pray to each member of the Trinity is we're grown up in our picture of him. I have a lot of friends that cannot pray to God the Good Father because of their earthly story. And yet, in light of our earthly story, that's part of why it's good news to learn that we have a Heavenly Father whose love will never quit, who has never been impatient with us, who loves us and likes us. I know many who are very comfortable praying to God, but praying to Jesus is more like, well, wasn't he just like a guy? No. He said, I and the Father are one He rose from the dead proving that. He said he is the new nation of Israel. That's John chapter 15, meaning we go to him as God. But what about the Spirit? Isn't the Spirit like just like the thing that we don't understand and that's fine? No, we pray to the Spirit too. And what happens is you and I are grown up in our knowledge of the power and the breadth of the character of God and its goodness. So I would encourage you to enjoy the rest purchased for us in Christ, reflected in the Apostles' Creed in prayer. We do not just profess Trinity. We do not just believe in Trinity. We, we pray to it. And you and I are, have to struggle with our imagination, and we have to work through our story, and what happens is we receive the joy that Christ purchased for us in that. On Sundays, using the Apostles' Creed, we, re- we reset and we pray, which helps us to understand. If the implica- understand our, our stories and our lives and our world, if the Apostles' Creed reflects what had to happen to reconcile you and I to God, 
and therefore a profound brokenness in the world that you and I participate in. If all of this was required to repair the most damaged part of humanity, then the world is not kind of broken. It doesn't mean there isn't nobility. It doesn't mean that humans aren't made in the image of God. But if this all had to happen, conceived of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and was buried, he descended into hell. The third day he arose from the dead, he ascended into heaven, is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. That's just the work of Christ. We haven't talked about judgment yet, or the new heavens and new earth. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. That's the first part. And then our hope, which by the way is in heaven. Heaven is awesome. It's not our hope. What's our hope? The resurrection of the body. Life everlasting, way better. Heaven's great. So don't hear what I'm not saying. But that's not our hope. One of my professors used to say that all the time. And you wanted to say back then, don't say that, right? Anyway. If all of this had to happen to reconcile men and women to God, and I want to say just to reconcile them to men and women and God, and the reason that I want to say that is because it seems to me like it'll be a really big deal when God renews the entire creation. When heaven and earth collide, which is scripturally what it says will happen, yet another thing that I think is more challenging than our moral stances just going to say it out loud. We believe heaven and earth are going to collide. Where is heaven? It's a separate plane of existence. Well, that's going to be interesting. I agree. <laughs> the creed reflects the scriptures which teach us that far more important and climactic moment in all of history was actually when men and women were reconciled to God. That's actually more climactic than the entire world being renewed. Jesus' sacrificial death for you and for me was more big than when Jesus returns and makes all things new. Not all new things, by the way. All things new. And this helps us understand our story. I uh, am... I. As I mentioned before, I had cancer eight years ago, um, and I am eight years cancer-free. If you want to cheer, you can. I hate telling you that, but some of you really want to cheer. It's fine. It's fine. And I was sitting in the waiting room, and I was playing on my phone because I preferred diversion to having that real human moment of sitting in the waiting room. And there was a couple sitting next to me, and I was uh, on the elevator with them, and I can tell by the color of his skin and by where he was in the hair process, I knew that he was in round one of a chemotherapy that I had also. And there was another couple sitting kind of across from us, and for a few minutes I was being a chicken and using diversion on my phone instead of talking to him. And then I did what we should probably do a lot more often than we do, turn my phone off and set it down and turned and said, how you doing? They were... Uh, in the midst of round one of four, I said, of uh, BEP. Those are the three kinds of chemo that I had. And they said, yep. We talked about treatment for a little bit. The other couple, I thought we were making them uncomfortable because I forgot we were in an oncologist's office where discomfort is really just different. People are just not uncomfortable about things in there. They started asking me questions because um, he was a little even earlier in the process and needed uh, 
some lymph node surgery like I did. We talked for a few minutes, and then I went into uh, my appointment. I started crying uh, because I know how much it's going to hurt him to be to get the chemo. And then I'm like, Matt, pull it together. If your nurse looks at your file and knows that you're eight years cancer-free and she sees you crying, she's going to think something like something's wrong, like it's okay. So I pulled it together. So I didn't want to explain it to her. It's not that I have a problem with feelings, but I'm, like, I'm fine, but they, and I just, I was in pain for, you know, I didn't want to do any of that. So I stopped crying. And um, the reason I'm telling you that story is I was not in 2008 and am not today mad at God. And the reason is not because he's so glorious. And the reason is not because I don't have emotions of anger and sadness. I think the reason is, and you ask me again in two years if I still feel this way, but it's been eight. The reason is I understand scripturally how profoundly broken the world is. And so I have this moment of sadness for my new friend. And I think that's probably good emotion. But I know how profoundly broken the world is. And some of you are mad at God. Frankly, biblically, that might even be healthier. Learn to pray like a psalmist. I watched a video with Eugene Peterson and Bono. Um, Eugene Peterson wrote uh, a, a version of the Bible called The Message. And Bono, the lead singer of the band U2, it's all right, some of you don't know, yes. Um, <laughs> really loved the message and people started telling Eugene Peterson that's so cool that Bono loves the message and he's like right who's Bono (laughs) someone finally probably some publisher they got the two of them together recently and there's a video and in it Eugene Peterson's wife makes cookies and Bono and Eugene Peterson start talking about the Psalms and Eugene Peterson says we need to learn to cuss without cussing in the Psalms so those of you that are mad at God that's okay Take it to him in prayer like the psalmists do. If you read the psalms, you'll find out they were very angry, men and women, and they knew that a, a terrific and healthy way of channeling that was to God. My point is, when we reset, when we allow ourselves to be gripped by the truths in the Apostles' Creed, we're reset to, the, to the, our world, to our life, and it helps us understand Helps us understand the fear, the shame, the pain that you and I experience is because of the profound brokenness. Do you feel thrown by your world? Like on Thursday, are you just really mad at people and you know that that anger is disproportionate? You wonder like, what's going on here inside of me? Do I just have the wrong mix of water and tea? I need to switch to coffee? Yes, would be actually be the answer to that question, but it's all right. I know some of you like tea, some of you like it, don't like any of it, it's fine. Do you think it's like you, you're not enough for the world, or you're too much? Is it your family? Is it the decisions that you're making that some are destructive? Maybe. But it's also that in, in God's providence, while He has healed the dominant problem which is men and women not reconciled to him, we're still in the presence of sin and death. You and I live in profoundly, profoundly broken worlds.
But the problem is not that God's holding out on us or disappointed with us or angry with us. We cannot think that God is holding out on us and return to the Apostles' Creed and say, I do believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried, and descended into hell. The third day He rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God, the Father Almighty. From thence He shall come to judge the quick and the dead. If that's true, then God's not holding out on us. He's not angry with us. And he's not disappointed with us. And that is good news in and of itself. Many of us limped in here this morning and we were thinking about relationships and we were thinking about budgeting and we're wondering about our career. Those are the things that we worry about on a regular basis. And I often wonder if we realize how good the good news is with respect to those things. When you and I remember the truths in the Apostles' Creed, how profoundly broken the world is, what God did about it, and what He will do about it, those things can't assail us in the same way. Those things don't bother. We still have to figure them out, but they don't bother us in the same way. This is just good news because because of it, we're reconciled to God. But the way that the good news affects us on Tuesday is you and I are less able to be beat up by the world. doesn't mean we don't have anything to learn about our career, about relationships, about budgeting, just as some examples, but we can actually rest being gripped by the truths that God loves us and likes us. Proof of that is what he did with his son, Jesus Christ. And then we do the work of remembering through confession at church, through praise and lament, through song and prayer and word and creed and sacrament. And what's different when we believe in these things? We're grateful. We're humble. We're less assailable to the world because our belief that God is for us, not disappointed in us, that he loves us and is not holding out on us that he likes us and is not disappointed in us, frees us into being men and women who are grateful and humble and the world cannot assail us. So I'm going to encourage you to watch that video again. And if you don't like the quality, it was filmed on an iPhone 5C. That was Apple's oops phone. (laughs) Nevertheless, I'm attempting to give myself and you a minute where we remember that God loves us and is not disappointed in us. That He likes us and is not angry with us. That He calls us His own and is not mad at us. Chew on that for a minute as we watch this again.